Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi everyone, welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and today I'm chatting to Melanie White. She's worked for five years in the luxury yachting industry. She's a former yacht chef. She's now written a book called Behind Ocean Lines, The Invisible Price of Accommodating Luxury. We're going to be chatting about life at sea bullying and depression. It's a very difficult industry to get into typically um, and the boyfriend I had at the time was working for luxury boat builders. Um, I had just come out of university and was desperately miserable in my office graduate job Um, and so when the job opportunity came up as a couple to work on board um, he said shall we give it a go and so that was really my entrance in. And if you, I mean, I was very fortunate, really, but it's either through someone you know, or it's through an arduous amount of dock walking. So people literally walk the docks in the Mediterranean or the Caribbean with their CVs after they've done their kind of basic training and and try and get a job out of luck. Um, So, yes, I was very fortunate. It sounds really exciting um, as an industry, but what are some of the challenges um, well, it's, well, there are many challenges. It's a really exciting industry to be in, in terms of travel, you get to go a lot of places, I uh, see a lot of things, experience different cultures. Um, but realistically, there's long working hours, a lot of time on board, a lot of time at sea. So isolation, um, you've got to live and work with everybody. So, um, you know, in your normal workplace, if you're having a tough day, you go home and you leave those people at work. If you're having a tough time on a boat, you take those people home with you because you're literally either sharing a cabin or next door to them at all times. And so particularly the boats I was working on 
were very busy boats. We had um, the owners on board. We'd have the guests on board. We'd go racing. And we'd also be covering a lot of nautical miles, taking it from location to location, or what we call in the business um, deliveries. So we'd be delivering the yachts, say, from the Arctic to, the Mont- to Montenegro, for example, and that would take easily a month. So if you think about the amount of time working, um, one year I averaged... 273 days off the dock and I had about five weekends off in the whole year and then I had 30 days holidays a block so everything else is work um bar the odd evening meal off so it's really for people that want to experience a new way of life but it's equally for people that are really ready to work hard and I think that's the kind of elusiveness of the industry when you look at it from the outside um, and when people see the pictures on Instagram, they're only seeing the the, the odd afternoon off of the crew. Uh, and so it looks very glamorous, um, but the reality is a lot of hard work and determination behind that. When did you start struggling with depression? Is that something you'd experienced before you worked in this industry or did it come on during the time when you were working in it? I hadn't experienced depression before um I I really now I've done a lot of work in the mental health arena since leaving yachting um the telltale signs were actually quite obvious but at the time when you're kind of slipping into depression you can't see it or at least I couldn't see it um and it was a combination of factors really it was a lot of my environment had changed you know it was a big life change working on board um I was a long way away from friends and family I was working a lot of hours um my sleep was getting very disjointed so when you're working on board and particularly when you're sailing and you're doing long overnight passages or for days at sea you're working in you know basically watch periods where you're not getting more than if you're lucky, you're not getting definitely not getting more than six hours sleep at a time. So my sleeping schedule had been disrupted. Um, I was also getting quite seasick and dehydrated regularly. So that was also kind of my physical health was beginning to deteriorate. So I lost quite a bit of weight. And come mixed in with all of that was working with some people on board that were bullying really and bullying me so the kind of harassment alongside those other factors were basically a perfect storm for depression um and so after 18 months maybe it really resulted in a significant breakdown where it was very hard you know it was really difficult to get up in the mornings Mm. I'm so sorry that happened um in terms of the bullying you mentioned was that colleagues or was that the people that you were um whose ships ships it were I don't know how to refer to them but um yeah so was it colleagues um or was it I guess the ship owners so it was colleagues um not any guests or owners um and that's what made it very difficult because with with working with people that are bullying you who do you go to if you're working on board? And in this instant, it was the captain. So 
what channels do you have for actually flagging that this is happening? And I think that's one of the hidden dangers of working at sea. Um, It's really not uncommon for abusive behaviours to be kept out of sight, out of mind at sea. And this isn't just in the yachting industry. Um, I worked after I left the yachting industry as a policy advisor for the UK Chamber of Shipping, and I specialised in employment and health and safety and also mental health on board. And it's really, sadly, commonplace in any seafaring sector that because you're isolated, it's very difficult if people need help on board for them to actually find that support and that help. Um, And even more difficult when you're actually trying to stand up against or flag that the crew culture on board is not good. Um, That's extremely difficult to change unless there is a big shift in personnel. And that's actually what I found alleviated me the most was when there was a change in captain. Really, once I'd I'd reached despair, really, I'd become, I I started having suicidal ideation and, and the book that I've written covers that, you know, the big highs and lows. But once I'd really got to the bottom of it and it was really bad, What felt like through divine timing really was a change in the captain. And that really helped propel my work into a more positive sphere so that I could recover. And actually, I managed to continue working in the industry and had a great uh, experience afterwards. Um, But it was very difficult, particularly when you don't have an escape from that environment. Yeah, it does sound really difficult because obviously, you know, it's hard enough when you're in like a sort of standard nine to five workplace and you're experiencing workplace bullying from colleagues or a manager or or anyone. That's also, you know, really difficult and can really affect your mental health and self-esteem and all sorts of things. But at least, you, you know, get to go home and be away from them. I can't imagine how stressful that would be to then still be sharing a cabin with these people and being around them 24-7. Yeah, really difficult, really difficult. And I think the the prime reason for me trying to kind of raise people's awareness about it is the fact that it's not uncommon. It's just that people don't have the ability of of voicing that it's happening. It's so well kept at anchor. And, And, I mean, for me, writing the book was my way of working out exactly what had happened to me. It was only in subsequent years that I realised, really, the depth of of, of all those combining factors. At the time, I think, and I think when most people have a dip in their mental health, you think, well, how how do I get myself out of this? And you don't actually want to speak necessarily to people about that. There's, there's sh- there was a lot of shame for me hidden around kind of particularly the suicidal ideation. You know, what does that mean for me if I'm thinking that? Um, I never acted on it, fortunately, but it's actually more commonplace just in general life, not even at sea. Um, and what happens when people access that part of their mind that really frightens them? Um, and so it's incredibly 
complex, but I mean, I, I'm sure you know, and you've had lots of amazing guests, you know, the speaking is what helps. Um, but when it's kind of covered with shame, it's then very difficult to unlock. And I think the writing process helped me really unlock that. Was any support available to you when you were struggling? Um, and is are there any other sort of services now that you'd signpost people to who were still working in the industry but struggling? So when I was in the industry, uh, not that I could see and not that I could visibly access. Um, the other difficulty of working on board is that quite often you have restricted internet access um, unless your boat has a good internet package that you're actually able to connect to or a satellite, you know, VSAT package. It's very difficult unless you're in range of 4G for you to be contacting people. Um, there are resources now. Um, ISWAN is a really fantastic charity that has a 24-7 helpline. And that was primarily set up for the shipping industry. And then they have recently expanded into Yacht Crew Help, which is specifically for Yacht Crew. And there's um, a telephone manned 24-7 in, in different languages where you can call and speak to somebody. But that's really, um, it's a fantastic resource, but it's it's also kind of not, hopefully not for crisis point, but it's not like going to see a regular counsellor. You can't pick up a a phone and get that kind of consistent support necessarily, but the service they offer is absolutely incredible. Um, ICE one, so that I-S-W-A-N, and that's Yacht Crew Help, and they also have their normal um, uh, phone line as well for, for seafarers and other occupations. And then since leaving the yachting industry, um, I joined forces with another yacht chef who had also um, experienced depression and suicide at sea. Um, and we decided to set up a um, a business called Seize the Mind. And that's a mental health first aid training company. And that's run by Emma Ross. And she does a brilliant job of... Um, teaching MHFA to yacht crew so there's somebody on board that has that awareness on board that perhaps people can speak to if they're struggling Um, and so that's really going from strength to strength and our hope is that across the industry there will be a shift where that becomes commonplace so it's really commonplace to have and it's actually you can't work on board without it um, a medical certificate called an ENG1 or um, your basic first aid skills, which are covered through the STCW, which is I'm getting into a convoluted, very specific area here. But that uh, trains all crew. Uh, you have to have this training. And our hope is that eventually there will be some form of mental health first aid training in there because um, it's the only way to scoop up all of the 1.89 million seafarers. They all have this basic training. And if you can include some form of mental health training, then the, at least the seed of awareness is there. And they might then start the industry with accessing those resources rather than getting into a pit and then not knowing how to find the, the help. Because mm. this is a real issue, isn't it? And to be honest, before... We booked you as a guest. I had no idea. Um, I think one of the statistics is that at sea, six times as many deaths 
are attributable to suicide compared to on land, which is, I think, you know, something that I'd never sort of thought of. Um, why do you think that is? Is it, I mean, we've talked about the, the bullying that can happen, um, but are, are there other sort of reasons that people really struggle? I think it's probably isolation levels. If you're, it, it's really hard. I mean, it's, as ever, it's always that melting pot of lots of different ingredients. But I think my personal opinion um, is that the ability, you know, when, when you experience depression and the step from depression to suicidal ideation, I think happens more rapidly at sea. And that's as a consequence of the lack of support or lack of people even visibly noticing you. So, for example, you know, if somebody loses quite a lot of weight very suddenly or maybe they put on a lot of weight suddenly, anything or their character is changing. They, these are telltale signs that might point to um, a dip in someone's mental health. And actually, if you're at sea, your friends and family might not be noticing that. Um, people on but that might happen gradually and on board that might be quite hard to identify so my own opinion is that actually the the progression from depression to a very serious mental health crisis actually is more rapid at sea and and that's because of a lack of autonomy I think is there anything that you'd sort of say that friends and family can do to support people who work in this industry um, other other than maybe just be aware about the sort of difference between what they might be seeing on Instagram and the beautiful pictures of gorgeous places and what actually might be the reality. Yeah, I mean, I think checking in regularly is important. Um, it's not uncommon, of course, if if you're at sea for to not have internet for two weeks um, and then all of a sudden you're coming back online, but you're running into a very busy work schedule. But I think consistent kind of checking in and understanding what's normal for somebody uh, responding to you might be. I think that's really important. Um, and I think also when people are taking their leave and you're finally seeing your family, really ask them, how you know, how are you really? Um, because it's very easy. And I, you know, I did it for five years. And because the boats were so busy that I worked on, I'd have to take my holiday in kind of one chunk. So I'd quite often work January to November and then in December have the whole month off. And it was in that kind of month. I didn't want to spend that talking necessarily about what was going well and what wasn't. I wanted to just enjoy being with people again and reintegrating into society. But actually what's helpful is when people are saying well how is it really on board and not opening the question with oh you know tell us you know your the biggest gossip that you had this year or you know those things really don't matter to crew they live around it all the time um you really ask you know how are you doing and and is the boat you know what is the boat like mm. Um, you've mentioned your book a little bit so far, but tell us more about the book. So it's called Behind Ocean Lines, The Invisible Price of Accommodating Luxury. Um, why did you want to write it and what are your hopes for it? Well, it started just writing it for myself um, to document all these fantastic but also 
crazy things really that I shouldn't even use the word crazy but they were they were just bizarre things that were happening to me and um bizarre experiences and I wanted to make sure I was documenting that when I realized it was becoming a kind of root of uncovering the deterioration in my mental well-being by the time I got 34,000 words in I thought hang on I actually think there's a book here and I don't seem to be writing this as a journal for myself I seem to be writing this you know breaking the fourth wall I, I, I seem to be writing this to somebody to a friend and so in the end I thought actually maybe I can write this book and it be as though I'm speaking to a friend and the reader stepping into my world but hopefully finding some comfort in what I'm saying and and the way in which I moved past the depression and past the suicidal ideation and and so really it became a bit started for me and then it became for other people that were experiencing poor mental health and so that's really why I wanted to publish it and I and the other reason was I really wanted to put a lens on the working practices in the luxury yachting industry it's a an incredibly elusive industry it's very well you know it's kept hidden well and I think there's a positive part in actually shedding light in those areas because hopefully it will flush out poor working practices. Um, I know there's been a bit of discussion online after um, a newspaper had picked up on the book and, and had written an article on on it, sandwiching kind of my story between kind of the gossip of the rich and famous and you know, there was a lot of discussion over, well, you know, this book could be exposing the privacy of people and and their lives on their boats. And that should be kept, that should be kept private and confidential because that's, the, you know, the privacy that they have a right to. And then there's the other side of the argument where it's, well, there's also a right for people to work in good working conditions at sea. And so my book is not and and I, I really don't think it actually shows anything really into the lives of the owners I worked for or the guests. It actually more looks at my story, what it's like to be yacht crew, what you know, what we were doing, where we were traveling, but also the realities of it. And I my wish is that people do go into the industry, but they go in with their eyes wide open. And there are no books <laughs> that do that. And so that's what, why I wanted to publish it. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it's in no way sort of like a kind of behind the scenes tell all of, you know, I, I, I don't know, I was on this boat with this celebrity or this billionaire or, or whatever, because it's it is very much about the crew, isn't it? And your experience and your mental health. My big question, I think probably to finish off, um, is what should be done to support people who work at sea? So what should be done in the within the industry to support people who work at sea? It's, it does sound like you've already got some initiatives that you've been working on, um, but what could be done in a wider sense? I think the why you know the widest way that um, crew can be supported is is for well there are two things. One is for policy change um, or policy progression, I should say, not necessarily change that addition of 
um, kind of mental health first aid or awareness, should I say, into um, the big convention, which is STCW, which it's global, that convention, it it helps and it's there to um, ensure that there's a standard of training on board every vessel that's commercial. And I think if if within the industry, if there can be any portion of time given to educating everybody on board, uh, whatever vessel, whether that's a yacht, if it's a shipping vessel, whatever it is, I think that's really important. And the other thing is um, people in position, leadership positions, really giving themselves a food for thought and thinking, how can I create the best culture on board the boat? And that's a really important one for actually getting the best out of crew. And I think, I think actually mutiny is actually one of the oldest stories in the book, you know, of people going on board and actually just tearing each other apart and they can't bear to be around each other anymore. And, and, you know, they want to rise up against the person that's in charge and all these things. And in, in seafaring hierarchies are actually incredibly important because especially when there's safety around being on board a vessel, you do need a, you do need people that are in charge. Um, but actually those people step into those positions without potentially having had much experience in people management. And I think if those people can really do their own, well, hopefully not their own homework, but really work towards creating a positive culture on board the boat, then that will help everyone's mental well-being as well. Hmm. And what would you say to anybody um, who's in the position that you were at your lowest point? So working in this industry or not, in fact, um, but really struggling um, what would your advice be to them? Once upon a time, I would have said, find one thing that can give you a scrap of joy. Um, but I know actually that entering that space, which is so deep and so dark, it it's actually impossible to find any joy. It really is. So I think to anybody that's at that rock bottom, I would say try and put pen to paper. If it's too hard to speak to somebody and that really feels like a big barrier, but one that you can't start even approaching, just try and write down how you're feeling. Put it on paper. You don't even then need to show anyone, but try and let those thoughts out of your head. And it doesn't matter how dark they are, just seeing them in black and white will help. And so I think that's that's the the piece of, of advice I would give. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a rating um, on iTunes. Five stars would be great. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group called Mentally Yours. And we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.